Chapter Nineteen of Rebellion by Joseph M. Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The picture which she saw on the wall opposite, across the foot of the bed, was of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It was the thing which she had seen oftenest and looked at longest since she had been in the hospital. It hung directly before her eyes as she lay in bed with her head on the pillow. She saw it first on waking and last before sleeping. Sometimes when she awoke suddenly in the middle of the night she could feel the picture still there, watching her in the darkness with mournful eyes. When first she looked at it she realized how crude it was in execution, its colors were glaring. The man wore a shining white cloak, which he drew back to show underneath a blue garment. On this, placed apparently on the outside of it, was a sacred heart of red, girt in thorns. Holy flames proceeded from it, and there was a nimbus of encircling light. She saw that it would have been better if the sacred heart had seemed to glow through his garment, instead of being obviously superimposed upon it. That softer blue and grayer white and less scarlet red would have been truer tones for a religious picture. She took not a little pride in her critical perceptiveness. But as she lay watching the picture day after day, she appreciated the superficiality of her first judgment of it. She had been looking at colored inks and the marks made by copper plates, not at a symbol of eternity. Does one estimate a put-by baby's slipper, or a lock of someone's hair, or a wedding ring by its intrinsic worth? If the West Side print shop which made the picture before her had failed, it could have done nothing else with that subject to portray. All attempts to represent Christ must fail. Raphael had failed. Everyone would fail. Even the church had failed. There had been bad popes, had there not? but the church had tried to represent him. The church had come nearer to doing so than any other enginery or person. The saintliest persons had belonged to her and died for her and in her. One church, she knew, he had founded and left behind him. One and but one. Thou art Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It was unequivocal. Christ did not say, Churches, he said church. There was but one which he had built. And she had defied it. She had hardened her heart against it. She had sent away its appointed minister in order to exalt herself. Her eyes were drawn again to the sacred heart, bound in the thorns which she and hers had placed there. So it had been, so it would be. Christ was crucified again each day in the hearts of the people whom he loved. Had she not herself also given him vinegar upon a sponge? She felt the tears trickling down her cheeks as she thought of her own supreme selfishness, and she looked through blurred eyes at the representation of the most supremely unselfish face that mankind had been able to conceive. Then suddenly divine forgiveness seemed to descend upon her and level the bounds and limits of her ego. The barriers of her nature gave way, and she found herself at one with all creation. She, and humanity, and nature, and God, were together. Her soul seemed to quicken itself within her, and ineffable light shone about her. 
She fell on her knees at her bedside, her adoring eyes upon the pictured countenance of her saviour. Over and over again she repeated that wonderful word learned at the convent, which expresses all prayer in itself. Pekavi, she prayed. Pekavi, Pekavi. It seemed to her at last, when she arose from her knees, that she had washed all her sins away with the passion of her contrition, that she had been born again in the spirit and become pure. In her ecstasy she thought that the face of her dear Lord regarded her now less mournfully, and that there was joy in his smile where there had been only sorrow. She knew, for the first time in her self-willed life, the peace unspeakable of entire self-surrender. Her tears continued, but they were tears of joy, and she sobbed as sometimes prisoners sob when pardoned unexpectedly. The miracle of deliverance rolled over her soul like a flood, washing away the barriers of self-control. During her weeks in the hospital she had lived in an atmosphere of perfect faith, as intense and vital, almost, as that of the Middle Ages. Those who had carried and comforted her through her sickness, nurses and gentle nuns, could not doubt that Christ had died to save them and to save her. She was environed with Catholicism. Sometimes she could see through her partly opened door a black-coated priest passing in the hall to shrive a dying sinner. The chimes and chants from the chapel came faintly to her ears with benediction. The picture of the sacred heart hung before her eyes in unceasing reminder of the whole marvellous fabric of the church. Because of her lowered vitality and her days of idleness in bed, her receptivity to exterior impressions was greatly increased. The steady stream of suggestions of her ancient religion, which had flowed in upon her, welled higher and higher in her subconsciousness, until they crossed the line of consciousness, and took sudden and complete possession of her mind. End of chapter 19